The following audio is from Shady Grove Presbyterian Church in Rockville, Maryland. Our mission is to follow Jesus Christ and labor for His kingdom both in our area and around the world. For more information about Shady Grove Presbyterian Church, please follow us on Facebook and visit ShadyGrovePCA.org. Good evening. Alrighty, if you uh, take out your Bibles or you may refer to the bulletin, but uh, we're in Luke chapter 23, verses 44 through 49. Luke 23, 44 through 49. Uh, I think most of you know I'm just one of the elders here at Shady Grove. My name's Scott Melson, and I uh, have the wonderful privilege of, of preaching on the death of our Savior tonight. So. I hope we can just meditate uh, on this, this story that we, I'm sure, all have heard so many times uh, to just together meditate and have, by God's grace, our love for our triune God increased and our thankfulness just to overflow for what has been done for, for you and I. Let us pray and, and we'll read and we'll begin. Blessed be the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Great and mighty and wonderful is the Lord our God, mighty to save, mighty to save. O God, we are so sinful. Every day our lives are full of sin, of failures. Lord, we fall short in all things. And yet your love to us is so great and your mercy is so great. Your grace is greater than all our sins. We are so thankful for the second Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the eternal Son, the eternal second person of the Trinity, that he should undertake this unbelievable ordeal and task on our behalf that through his blood we might have access into your presence, redemption, reconciliation, adoption. Blessed be your name. We ask that you would speak to us now through your word. Give us grace to hear, to see the truths, Lord, in your precious word this evening. And Lord, I, I... I would beg on behalf of all of us that you would increase our faith and our service to our Savior. And if there are any of those listening at home or here in this room tonight, if they do not know you, Heavenly Father, draw them to yourself. And may they see your great love and intentions towards them and sending your Son for sinners. In Jesus' name, amen. Hear hear the word of God. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. 
and all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance and watched these things. And that's our text for this evening. This was the hour that our Lord and Savior knew was coming from all eternity. As it were, all roads, all days, all of history prior to this date were leading to the cross. This was the most important event on the calendar as time and history progressed and as nations faded into the distant background and memory. We're reminded time and time again in the Bible that God's plan of salvation was not reactionary. It was not, what are we going to do? They've messed it up. We have to figure something out. It was not off the cuff. No, rather we're told that from all eternity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit had devised an unbelievable, beyond our comprehension, plan of salvation. One in which the Father would choose a people for himself in the Son, who would willingly submit to being the sacrifice, the atonement for the sins of those whom the Father would give him. And through the Spirit, the Son would offer up himself to the Father upon the cross. This day, beyond again our comprehension, somehow from all eternity was fixed on God's calendar. From all eternity, the Son, the Father, and the Spirit experienced a love and a, rela- and a, and a, a depth of relationship that you and I just cannot even begin to, to comprehend and to understand the wonderful nature and the depth of love and loyalty and joy that came in the midst of the relationship of our triune God. For all eternity, the Son knew the favor and smile of the Father, and yet he knew that there would come a day when he would experience, over the course of three hours, something that from all eternity he never knew, was was foreign, was alien, was never an experience, not a hint, a whiff of abandonment. Nor after this three-hour window would he ever experience what he knew he must endure during this time ever again, unto all eternity. Something happened to our Lord and Savior here that was a one-time only. So horrific, so unbelievable for someone so holy and pure for the offender, or for the the offended, to stand in place of the offenders. 
He wasn't simply man, he was the eternal Son of God. Why would God plan such a mechanism or process for salvation? I remember hearing a sermon one time, and, and uh, Joel Beakey was the, the pastor uh, giving the, the sermon, and he, he uh, was speaking, of course, on the crucifixion, and he, he looked out over the crowd, and he said, if, if you were in trouble and I had to give my son to save you, you'd still be in trouble. Because I would not, I could not do it. And it was a, a sober moment in the message. It wasn't, a, a, he wasn't necessarily, a, he wasn't joking. He was, he was expressing his heart that it was not something that he would ever find in himself to do. And yet, man did not devise this. Of course, we would think of anything to get out of the predicament that we had plunged ourselves into. So we'd be fine pretty much with any plan that might allow us escape from the wrath of God and the punishment and the eternal separation from the Holy One that we have offended and continue to do. But how is it that the eternal wise God would choose such a plan as this? I don't, I suppose there are some answers that we can certainly look to but perhaps the simplest one is if an eternal holy being is offended by a, a, crea- a creation, there, there must only be something of equal significance to be in place or to pay for that offense. And there's only one God, so that's a problem for us. And therefore, God himself, who was offended, must himself take on the sin in our place if anyone were to be saved. It is this epic, this experience of our Lord Jesus that we have in our text this evening. As we look at the cross, and we've said it so many times here and but it is still said oftentimes that, uh, you know, was it really the Father? We see the kind of the Father here is wrathful towards the Son, but you and I know, if, if you've been in this church any length of time, that, and if you know your Bible at all, it's the Father that hatched this plan. Everyone knows the, <laughs> the Bible verse, For God so loved the world. It was the will of the Father that the Lord should be crucified and die on the cross for sinners. What amazing love. It doesn't make any sense by any stretch of the imagination. You and I cannot find any legitimate reason that the Father should love us and give His Son, who is eternal and holy, who is God the Son, We would never arrive at this answer. And yet the Father so loved sinners. From all eternity, there was never any doubt that this would take place, that salvation would be accomplished and applied, that the the bride would most certainly be given 
to the Son. Out of love, for love, the Father devised and put into place this plan of salvation wherein Christ would die on the cross. So we see the love of the Father, much not, not a, a wrathful, vengeful God that needs to somehow have his arm twisted, but much more that it's the love of the Father that Christ now dies on the cross, the love of the Father for humanity, for sinners. But what about the Son? Have you ever thought of the Father's temperament, his, his demeanor towards the Son during this, this three-hour period? We know that Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so we know that there is divine wrath being poured out upon the Lord, upon the Son, by the Father. But you know, I, I heard it said, and, and I'm sure it's in, the, it's in the Bible too. Surely the Father never loved the Son so more, so much more than he did on the cross. There the Father looked down on his Son, though pouring out wrath for sin, because he has to be just. And yet, it was the Son's obedience that he took up and mounted the cross, that the will of the Father might be carried out. And so we see the Father's love for the Son on the cross. How much not only the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, be pained under the wrath and abandonment of his Father, but the Father's love and appreciation for the Son as he sees his Son in the garden of Gethsemane, sweat clods of blood and continue on towards the cross, towards the sacrifice for sin. What love the Father has for the Son, even here on the cross of Calvary. What of the Son? Could you know a better love than somebody that would lay their life down for you. You remember the Lord Jesus Christ said, there's no greater love than, than for one man laying his life down for another. Well, how much more than the Son of God who is God incarnate, the radiance of the Father, the fullness of God in the flesh, the light of the world, God of very God, that he should lay his life down for somebody utterly and entirely worthless and undeserving as you and I. That is love. That is love. And we see the son's love for the father again. He says time and time again, I have come to do my father's will. And in Christ's mind, there was never any doubt of what he must do and go through. He knows Psalm 2022, or 2022, he knows Psalm 22, where David says, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? You know there's not one person that can say that, for real, where that's an actual reality, that somebody has experienced abandonment from God except the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
you and I deserve truly to be abandoned, to have eternal separation away from the glory and beauty of God. And yet for those who believe in Christ, they shall never experience that separation because he experienced it in full on the cross. The Son so loved the Father that he continued on in this plan of salvation and in the laying down of his life for unworthy sinners. It was about the sixth hour and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour while the sun's light failed. We see in the different Gospels that the sun, the light, refused to shine. And as you look at some of the commentaries, of course, the liberal commentaries, they always try to, to look for this or that to explain the natural phenomena that is recorded in the Bible. When the Israelites went across uh, the Red Sea, perhaps there was a great drought and they just found a, a, a you know, a, a nice higher place to walk over and the water had, had receded low enough that they could get, get over to the other side. All kinds of excuses given, but perhaps what the Bible means is that there was darkness that covered the whole land. That was supernatural. We're not told of any eclipse. We're not told of some sandstorm, as I've read in some commentaries. When Christ was on the cross, the sun refused to shine. This is not a surprise because we see further in the passage that other natural phenomena happens. The rocks, the earth shook. Rocks split. People rose from the dead. I don't think we can find uh, an excuse for that one that will fit the, uh, the current scientific uh, model. When Christ hung, hung on the cross, there was no light in the land. It was certainly illustrative of the abandonment that he was experiencing by his father. This was the darkest hour that, had, that the world had ever seen and that the world will ever see. This was the darkest of times, the lowest of lows. As Christ hung on the cross, not only was heaven as steel to our Lord and Savior, but there was darkness throughout the whole land as the sun's light failed to shine. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. So, again, we know when, when Adam and Eve sinned, that was it. Hope is lost. From a human perspective, to try to repair the mend, to try to cobble together a solution to get back to God and to to reignite that life, that spiritual life with God, that was completely gone. It was a one-shot deal. If you get it wrong, that's it. There's no do-overs. The curtain in the temple represented this impenetrable wall that separated man 
from his creator. And yet, through the blood of Christ and the atonement and sacrifice on the cross, when this took place as an illustration of the truth that now there was an access made to the Father, the curtain is torn in two. It is only through the blood that we can access entrance into the Holy of Holies, into God's presence. You and I can absolutely do absolutely nothing to gain acceptance and entrance into the presence of the Lord. There's nothing that we can do to make ourselves right. There's nothing that we can look to. There's no religion, there's no man-made ladder to heaven that we can climb. The way is shut. There is no access, no hope in and of ourselves. And yet on the cross as Christ died, his blood created that entrance into the, before the throne of the Father, into the Holy of Holies. Our way into the presence of God is over a threshold saturated in the blood of the Savior. Time and time again in the, in the Bible and in Hebrews, we're told, by the blood, by the blood, through the blood, only by blood, by the blood of the eternal covenant. In the Old Testament, the priests, the priest had to enter with blood, so great our offense, so great your offense, that nothing short of the blood of the God-man could secure entrance into the Holy of Holies, could repair the breach made by you and I. Then Jesus calling out with a loud voice, Father, into your commands, or into your hands, I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathes his last. In the other Gospels, we're told that Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And they focus on that abandonment of the Son by the Father. And here in Luke, we're, we're told of Christ's, we're given a little bit more of a, a, a different view on this. We see Christ's trust in his Father. You and I so often lose faith. <laughs> we so often lose trust in God's presence in our lives. And, and we so often are quick to think that somehow God is, has abandoned us. And yet only Christ was abandoned. Only he could truly say that he was abandoned by the Father. And he was the one that is most unlikely or never should ever experience such a breach in relationship. And as Pastor Bale had mentioned this past Sunday, what does it mean that Christ was forsaken by the Father? We can only dive so deep into that truth. I read an amazing book about, being, about Christ's words and the reality of him being forsaken by the Father. And you know what I got out of the book? It was a really good book, so this is not to diminish it. But you know what I got out of the book? Christ was really forsaken by the Father. That's what I got out of the book. We're merely trying to scratch at Mount Everest to try to get a few 
scrapes of rock, scrapes of data to try to figure out what in the world does it mean that the eternal Son was abandoned, was forsaken by the Father. I am not sure that we will ever have more than the smallest of glimpses into what that could possibly mean. The eternal Son, forsaken by God. If it weren't in the Bible, it would be blasphemous to say. And yet, the Lord Jesus never failed in trusting the Father, though he knew he was truly forsaken. Yet he knew his Father upheld him. I I don't know how those go together, but they do. He never wavered in his faith in the Father and his loving Father. And we see that sentiment here in Luke. Knowing that all has been accomplished, that the time of his trial has come to an end, that he has borne the weight of humanity's sin and the full measure of God's wrath. Knowing that this time has passed, he says, Father, into your hands. I commit my spirit. Once again, knowing the peace of that relationship that he had known for all eternity and would now know throughout all eternity forward. Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathes his last. My friends, you and I should breathe our last. We will breathe our last. Can you imagine the Son of God breathed his last on the cross of Calvary? He died a real death on a real cross, a real sacrifice for sin. He breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, certainly this man is innocent. In the other Gospels, it said that the centurion and the crowd around said, surely this was the Son of God. I don't know. In commentators' debate, I suppose, whether he he meant the Son of God or whether he just meant this man was righteous, I don't know. I I don't think it's totally unreasonable to, to think that the centurion perhaps knew what was going on and what Jesus had been claiming. But regardless of what exactly he said, Jesus died unlike any other has ever died or will die. The spectacle of the cross did something on all those who saw and heard the events that day. And it pierced all because all left beating their breasts and the centurion who was over the affairs of that day and to ensure that this crucifixion took place and was carried out and ends up praising God. And all the crowds had assembled for the, and all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle when they saw what had taken place returned home beating their breasts and all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. This was zero hour. This was when the plan that had been hatched from all eternity 
needed to actually be carried out, the worst part of it, if you will, the most difficult part, the part where the Lord Jesus Christ tasted wrath and abandonment for you and I. This day marked an unbelievable defeat for Satan and the, and the powers of darkness. Despite all that the eye could see, despite Rome thinking that it had just vanquished another common criminal, deserved of death, on that cross, when the world was dark, the Lord Jesus Christ was saving innumerable hosts of sinners. His blood shed that all who would come to the Father might receive full acceptance and entrance into the Holy of Holies. Our salvation cost everything. It cost Christ everything. It cost God everything. Day of days when our Savior hung on the cross. See on his shoulders your sin, your sorrow, your grief. Upon his broad shoulders he bore it all. I want to end with a warning, but then end end with God's love to us. If salvation cost God so much, then what of those who think nothing of the sacrifice that God has made. My friends, the gospel message is that Christ is dead for you. A sacrifice has been made that you might have full forgiveness, that you might be made a son and daughter of the Most High. Do not trample underneath your foot the blood of the cross. If you are here tonight or listening online, do not spurn God. Do not deny what is so freely offered. If it costs God everything, the price of you not getting this right is everything. You may think to yourself, those who perhaps don't believe in the Lord yet, how could I come? I'm so sinful, or I'm so bad, or I'm so inadequate. If, if you're a believer, you perhaps at times doubt God's love for you. Never has there been a greater show of God's love for sinners than the cross. If you don't believe in Christ, if you doubt God's love towards you, look at the cross. Do you think that God would crucify his son and pour his wrath upon him that sinners might come freely and have full forgiveness and eternal life? Do you think he would not lavish his love and forgiveness upon you? See what he has done and what he, has offers, what he offers you. Do not doubt his love for he gave everything that you might come and receive forgiveness. 
And if you're a believer and, and you ever doubt God's love in the past, today, in the future, if, if God the Father gave the Son, then you and I who believe in Jesus can never doubt his love. There is no greater price, no greater sacrifice, no greater showing than the Father pouring out his wrath and judgment upon his own Son, that you and I might have life, life everlasting. If Jesus died, then God loves you and I. And it is an unfailing, eternal love that will never be quenched. Let us pray. Blessed be the Father. Blessed be the Son. Blessed be the Spirit. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for forgiveness. We thank you that we have been made sons and daughters of the Most High and that we are greatly loved by God. Praise your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.